Hey, good morning, True North. Come on, you want to clap? It's good to be in God's house. <laughs> well, hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. I'm so glad that you're with us today. You know, everyone joining us online for the first time. Can we just show some love one more time to everyone who's here for the first time? Grateful that you're with us today. And um, hey, I have to, I, I don't know, I'm so distracted. Where's Pastor, Pastor Brian? What is, what is the till? What is, what is that you were working to the castrate? We're not in Australia anymore, buddy. We don't call it that. It's called a, yep beating on them the whole time and then using their words. It's okay. Um, but hey, if uh, we, you have been with us last week, you know that we are in a series called Legacy. Can, you, can everybody say Legacy? Legacy. You're going to leave one, and uh, I pray that it's one that outlasts you, that lives far beyond you. And we've been opening up the Word of God and really looking what the Word of God says about legacy and how do we leave a godly legacy um, and really how to leave an eternal legacy. Um, and so we've been going through scriptures over the last few weeks, and I pray that it's been a blessing to you. Um, today I decided to do something a bit, u- uh, a bit unique, I-, I-, I think, and a bit different in its approach, but... Um, all of us find ourselves where we are today by the influences of those who've gone before us. And we may not recognize it immediately, but years will pass and we can look back in our life and say, man, you know, that person or that conversation or that, that moment in time, that word of encouragement, that prayer, that extra $50, whatever it was, that, that moment really changed my life. And whether it was an act of kindness, whatever it was, when the hand of God is extended to other people, um, it changes us. And I'm standing before you today, um, in part, the pastor and the husband um, that I am because of those who have gone before me. My father and my mother have laid a great example and continue to do so to this day. And um, for me, my father has really pioneered more than just aspects of my faith. He's taught me um, many ways how to, uh, how to be a man in a household and how to love and how to honor and how to show respect to people. And um, we would not be sitting here today if it was not for his faith and his vision. And he is a man in, in, in my mind of legacy and how to leave a godly legacy. And I'm going to put him on the hot seat today and ask him some questions. Um, believe it or not, I have taken for granted Um, the privilege of having a father like I have and having the ability to ask questions like I've been able to ask. And so I want you in on a little bit of our conversations and I'm going to put him on the spot and I believe it's going to bless you. Um, Could you do me a favor though, before he comes, could you stand to your feet? I really believe in showing honor where honor is due. Come on, welcome your founding pastor, Pastor Eric, up to the stage. Come on. I think you need a bigger pair of steps. They get narrower and narrower over there. The steps? My, uh, yeah, they're small. Yeah, just don't go down on them. Yeah. You might be seated. That's not a good look coming up. I did that one time. I think it was like the fourth time I was speaking. I was jumping up on the stage. And I was like, I don't need the steps. I'm just going to jump. And I jumped and like kind of tripped. And it was great. Anyway, um, so hey, I wanted to kind of have this conversation in such a way that allows people the opportunity to have you share your heart because I'm many times in seasons of confusion and seasons of uncertainty, you've been a voice to guide and direct me and uh, talking about leaving a legacy. I think the biggest challenge with leaving a legacy is... How about it, the hanky legacy? We yeah, the hanky legacy. You got that. Um, so I remember him with the hanky. I'm like, Dad, that's gross. I can't believe you do it. And then I started speaking and look what... I, yep, that's what happens. And... Um, <laughs> 
and doesn't uh, stick to your whiskers like tissues. Right? I didn't know that, but yeah, it's exactly why we do it, right? It doesn't stick to the whiskers. And um, but uh, just bear with us, guys. We're going to get somewhere. Okay, um, is. The idea of legacy can be overwhelming to many of us, and I think it's the first thing that we can look at and say, hey, I have, I have time to do to deal with the legacy. I just need to do life. And then uh, later in our lives, we're like, I guess I should focus on legacy. But the truth is, you should never really put it off. In Proverbs 13, 22, it says, a wise man leaves an inheritance for their children's children. Um, I guess the direct question to you is, what do you feel like you want your legacy to be when you're gone? <clears throat> well, I would think that... Um Personally, uh, I want to be known, and, and I think every man wants to be known as a good man, right? I mean, a good father, a good husband. But really, I want to be known as a good, good man that loves the Lord, a good son of God, you know, that, that was generous. And I had people in my lives that were generous, and, and, and it's neat because you can, see, you can follow the generations in your family, and I, I would urge you to, to find the good in each generation, Pass out the bad, throw away the bad, but grab onto the good. And I think if we can do that, every generation will get better. You know what? I, well, you just saying that um, had me thinking. It, all of us allow uh, certain things to stick to us. One of the unique things about my father is he has this unique ability, and I didn't say this in the first service, but is to the, the crappy stuff doesn't stick to you. And meaning if you've been in a broken home or you haven't had the best parents or you didn't have parents or you had an issue of alcoholism or divorce or dysfunction or chaos or a family that dishonored God, like that doesn't need to stick with you. And you can re reprogram and reset a new direction that honors God. And, and it's not, some of you, um, if my father, and we'll touch a little bit on it, but um, their family, you were the first to come to Christ in your family. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes people see the platform and they're like, oh, the, the Eisenhart family. And they don't know that really it was one conversation of a seed planted in your heart that really manifested itself into changing leg generations of families and hundreds of families and really pioneering works across the world. And But it started in one conversation. And um, don't allow those things. And I think... The one thing I want to leave with you with that is you choose what sticks with you. Some of you think that you don't have the option that brokenness is going to stick with you. No, it's not. You can choose to pioneer a new thing um, founded on the love of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God. And just because you were part of a broken family doesn't mean that your family is going to be broken. Just because alcoholism was part of your past doesn't need to be part of your future. And, and some of us just need to learn how to re-see ourselves in light of who we are in God's eyes. And when we do that, God will begin to do something in you um, that you can't even see it happening. And uh, I love that. I, I love that. <laughs> I love the reality of God doesn't need your permission um, to use you. Um, he's going to use you. And even when you don't see it, um, he's still using you in seasons. And I, I love, I was oblivious to your background or our family's background until you started to share it. And, and the truth is, is that if you make a distinction to say, I want to honor God and I want to recognize the good in what God gave me, um, your generations yeah. will change. And you were saying, when do you start your legacy? I believe your legacy begins the moment you ask Jesus Christ into your life. That's, that's the beginning of your legacy. Because everything else is carnal. But when you ask Christ in your life, that's the beginning. So you young people are saying, hey, how do I begin? How, when do I start? You start with a relationship with Christ. 
and allow him to build on that. I remember um, talking about using what you have. And a lot of times when you talk about a legacy, you're always like, oh, well, I'll deal with the legacy thing when I have um, resources to leave a legacy. But for you, I, I've <laughs> It's a bit crazy to think about, but you were one of 11, um, and how many bedrooms did your first house have in it where you guys grew up? Well, yeah, it was, um, it was a small little duplex up in Collingswood, a great little town to grow up in, and we had a little duplex of three bedrooms, one bathroom. Grandma came in and moved in with us. You know, Grandma was there like high priority, so she got her own room. We were wondering how she could pull that, but she got her own room. Mom and Dad had their own room with a usually a baby in there, and then we just had beds lined up against the wall. So if you had to go to the bathroom, you had to walk on the beds to get out. But I'll tell you what, they were great times. I, <laughs> I like it better now that I have my own bed, you know. But, but I think what, what, what astonishes me is that sometimes we think God, in order for God to do something significant, like everything has to be perfect, everything has to be in place, everything has to be neat and organized and tucked in, into order, and if there's dysfunction or chaos or turmoil, which I can't imagine, however many kids in one room, but in, in all of that, in the midst of that, there was a seed planted and in your heart to receive Jesus and if you haven't heard the story, um, I'd be shocked, but um, the story of, the, of, of your elementary school teacher leading you to Jesus and to one act to see the impact of one conversation with a young person. Yeah, she would actually walk me home from school. Of course, I only lived two blocks away from school, but, you know, for someone to take that type of interest in me sort of baffled me, you know, I couldn't understand. But then all of a sudden she started explaining this heavenly father who was a good father. My dad was a good guy. He was trying all best he could without Jesus, you know, and uh, things just weren't working out and, and uh, you know, financially or his job, you know, just things weren't going right. But here it is, all of a sudden I got a, a look into a real father that had his act together. And it's not that I belittle my dad. All of a sudden I realized that the father that my dad could become if he knew Jesus. So, um, yeah, it was a great, great journey. And I think that's what it means to do, to, to see the significance in a legacy is to realize that um, you begin with what you have. You begin with what you have. And when we talk about legacy, sometimes it's like, well, I don't really have a whole lot. Well, do you have Jesus? If you have Jesus, you've been entrusted the greatest thing under heaven. And if you have Jesus, you should steward that relationship well. You should learn to walk closer to Jesus each and every day. Let it make you be a better spouse. Let it make you be a better employee or a better employer. Let it make you be someone who honors. And in opposition in a season like we're in, let it, let it allow you to carry a spirit into a chaotic uh, uh, conversation or a chaotic world. Um, I know that when we're in church, it's funny when people come in, they're like, oh, yeah, well, I don't really have many gifts or talents to use, and I'll just kind of... The whole thing, you know, and what's so interesting to us is we'll look at each other and say, well, I don't really know what we, what, what can we do, you know? Yeah. It's so easy to do that. But God has created all of us. He knows us. He's, he's formed us, the scriptures say, in the womb of our mother. He, he's known us. And, and so he hasn't accidentally given you the gifts and talents that he's given you. There are many things that you can do that, that we cannot do. And there are some things that we can do that you may not be able to do. But that's what makes us the family of God. 
And so many people would come in the church and they'd say, ah, oh, you know, I just, uh, what can I do? What can I do? And I believe that is the number one tactic of the enemy. You know what it is? To make you think that what God has given you from heaven is insignificant. And it's common. So don't even bother serving. Don't bother giving. Don't bother doing anything because you're just, you're, you're a, a spectator. But you're not. You were fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Wired to do something that no one else in this space can do. No one like, there's no one like you under heaven. You're the only one, the only you. And that's what's so unique in the house of God is that God allows us to, to find ourselves in him. And when we do that, we understand that, that we have a spiritual family and our gifts, gifts and talents get demonstrated in this place and our legacy begins um, to, to be formed. Judges... This is an interesting passage. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. It says this. It says, After the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. I suppose the reason I wanted to ask you this question as it pertains to legacy is the importance of and the responsibility that we have to raise up another generation that knows the Lord um, so I guess what can we do as a church to make sure that the next generation um, knows God and is introduced to Jesus? Like this just isn't a season for True North Church where we're like, oh, there's young people. That, that is the heartbeat and the function for generations to yeah, come. Yeah, so there in Scripture, we, we actually saw the, the ending of a legacy where the, the children's children, the generations to come, didn't know the God of their fathers. And that has happened in this nation, really. We look at the nation, we look at the generations. There's a lot of kids out there today that don't know hardly a Bible story. So what, what can we do? And I, I always said this, that we invest in those that can't return the investment right away. So what does that mean? Well, you children, children can't really drop a coin, you know, any money in the offering. The youth really can't. Those that are in need and, and need God, that are far away from God, um, they can't invest in this. And I really believe that that's part of the heart of God, Putting, pouring money into people that can't really return. It's a lousy business model. But listen, we don't operate on the earthly business model. We operate on God's business model. And as we sow into the generations that come, then we won't have that breakdown that Israel had. And uh, one of the legacies I know my father would always uh, do is pray for us as kids and lay hands on the grandkids. And, and I said, man, that's a great legacy that I want to start and continue. So not only will I bless my kids, but as my grandkids come over and had a story, uh, a situation the other day where I was over one of my son's house and he had some cousins that aren't my grandchildren that were there or his nephews and nieces. So I was praying for all my grandkids. In the old days, I used to do it, you know, maybe in a quiet place. I'd do it right and broad, you know, all the confusion. Lord, bless this child. Bless this son. He's a son of God. You know, working on the identity. So I prayed for all my six grandkids there. And uh, two of the other little cousins came up and they said, Pop. And I'm not their pop, but, you know, their pop is bad. And uh, they said, we need a prayer of blessing. So I said, man, this is legacy. So I started laying on hands on it, and I prayed the same prayer that I prayed for my children. Now, I said that to say this, that really the way the Lord has built the church, we are the family. And you know that because you're closer to people who are believers, many of you, than you are to your own blood relatives. 
Well, that's because we're tied in by the blood of Jesus. So we have a, a generation of youth, of young kids that are in this place that are fatherless, that are grandfatherless, grandmotherless, that need people to take and begin a legacy in their life. And that's why we believe so much in sowing into the young kids. We don't want to break. We don't want to break like Israel. We'll have a generation that grew up not knowing God. So we want to pour into them, and, and you can pour into them, whether it's generosity of, of offerings and tithes, but also in that physical blessing to them. And that, that's big stuff. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, I have a lot of things circulating in my mind, but one of the things that is overwhelming to me is our natural tendencies in the flesh to look at the next generation and say things like, just hold on just wait, just, we'll get to you. And I don't know if it's in our own insecurity of busyness and the culture that we've created. I don't know if we're so busy doing so many things that, that looking at our children's need for attention just becomes annoying. And it's, oh, come on, just leave me alone. But it is our responsibility not to just give. And you've always told me this. You've always, I think you've had some choice words to say about this, um, uh, when parents say, I don't give quantity, I give quality, and you always told me that was kind of crap, but um, because kids need quality and they need quantity, and um, they need both. And, um, Can you imagine God telling us that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I only got five minutes here for you, you know, and... Um, yeah. Well, and I think that serves our selfishness, and sometimes we think that, that we're making plans for them in the future, but the very thing that we're needed to do, we're neglecting to do, and... And uh, we have so many plans. That's why one of the, one of the coolest uh, lanes, the legacy lanes that we talked about um, just a few weeks ago, that next generation vision lane um, that has to do with compass kids, with youth, um, and really marriage and family. And we've talked about um, the uh, youth and family camp that we have dreams and aspirations of building and, and uh, doing amazing things on the south end of the property of uh, with an amphitheater and park for families and kids to come in throughout the whole year and upgrading all the stuff in the kids program. And some of you are like, well, why? And, and it's going to be a lot of money. And it's because there's, there's a certain thing of investing into a generation and saying, no, you don't have to wait to find out about the love of God. You don't have to find to wait uh, to get our attention. We'll give it to you now and you will be the priority of our eye. I, I remember a conversation you and I had with an individual years ago and they came into the church and they were speaking to you, but I was standing beside you, and the gentleman said something like, uh, hey, I'm just visiting, you know, from another church, and, and uh, he kind of said, and you're so artful at this when people are demeaning to you, just smile and just say, oh, God bless you, you know, and I'm just thinking, like, what did he just say, you know, and um, it's something like, yeah, well, you know, our church would just be the same as yours if, you know, we had all the young people, and you said, oh, okay, you know, well, it's so great to meet you, and and uh, the truth is, is that you have a heart for people and are willing to give up the things that you desire for another generation, which that man was not. And I think what, the, what God often looks at us to see if we're willing to do is to surrender the things that we desire to give things to other people, even a younger generation, and not tell them, hey, your season will come in 20 years. Hey, don't worry, you'll have your opportunity. Hey, don't worry, you're not a priority. And say, no, they are the priority of today. And, um, yeah, the, the cost of a legacy is high. And, you know, yes, financially it's big, but time, energy, truth, and you know, pouring your life into the next generation 
it's a, it's a high cost. That's why we have a legacy less generation here in America because people weren't willing to pay the price for leaving a legacy. Yeah, and I think the thing is, is that we can chase dreams and aspirations of our own heart and then at the end of our life look back and wonder why there's brokenness and dysfunction. And, and I think at the end of the day, we all, we all need to recognize that the scripture says, raise children in the ways of the Lord and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Well, that's a responsibility that we can't put off on anybody else. Like we can't say, hey, I hope. And by the way, our Compass Kids team um, the teachers and the leaders in that environment are exceptional. The preparation that they put in, and especially in the season that we're in right now, people are working double time, not to, not to just watch kids, but to raise them in the ways of the Lord. And so let's show some love to everyone who's, they forfeit opportunities to be in here so that they can raise the kids and and, uh, but they really do that in it with a desire to stand alongside the guardians of the children to say, hey, we want to help you raise them in the ways of the Lord so when they're old, they won't depart from it. And there's something powerful about doing that. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Um, I think you already spoke to this about what a younger person, a young man or young woman um, should do if they have dreams and visions in their heart that they believe are from God. Uh, what should they do next in those seasons? And I believe you alluded well, to that. you know, I, I think a lot of times we get dream, you know, we do have dreams and uh, they mean a lot to us. And I would encourage you to share your dreams with the right people because the bigger the dream is, the more you need others to be on that journey with you. Um, so, you know, that's really important. And, um, you know, just, you talk I, about I would say go for it, but also know this, that a dream never takes you from what God has already given you. So he's, if he's given you a wife and a family, they can't be excluded from the dream because it becomes your dream and not theirs. And I really believe the way the church is and the way the Lord has set up the family, you have to take your family with you on that journey. And you can remember when we started the church, I was in my 50s and I said, this is crazy. But uh, we got together all the family. We said, listen, this is what we're gonna do, but in order for this to work, this is gonna be a dream, not only of ours, but everybody has to buy into it because we're going to spend a lot of time together, and it may not be at the diner or at the park, but it's going to be serving God together. And I think that was the strength of the dream. It, it wasn't just, you know, Joanne and I and you and a few family. It was the whole family, and even the grandkids jumped on board. And so that's the power of the dream. The more people, the bigger the dream, the more God needs others involved in your life to journey with you. Yeah, I think there's two things, dealing with opposition with dreams and then where dreams end up taking you. Like, if it's a God dream, no opposition um, will stand against it. It's almost like if God is for it, no one can be against it. But you it. still have to, and we know this, you yeah. still have to step out in faith. Because oh, you could have a great dream and just sit on the sofa. It's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And I've always said this to my kids, and, and I haven't said it to my grandkids, but I probably should. You know, how do you pursue God? Well, my vision of pursuing God, if there's 20 doors that are closed and you're in a room, I just go up and open, start opening doors. I don't sit there and pray, say, Lord, there's 20 doors. Which one should I open? No, I knock on every door. Yeah. And the right one will open. So I, I really believe that in dreams, pursuit. Yeah. 
active. Well, you've always been good in, in like, I, re I remember, geez, um, you were what they would describe as bivocational, meaning you never got paid for being in ministry. You were in ministry, I think, 32, 33 years ago. Call that father. a tent maker. A tent maker. You were a tent maker, uh, meaning that he worked all week and then would either preach on the weekend and, or he led youth and young adults and did everything in the church as an elder and leader in the church, but for 33 years. And you did what you needed to do to provide for a family, but what a lot of people, and I would always, I would always smile when I saw people walking towards you about dreams and visions in your heart. And I'm like, ooh, they don't know what they're doing. Um, because a lot of times people come up to me like, I'm just waiting, it hasn't come to pass. And I'm like, ooh, his started at 52, so be careful, you know. And, but, but the thing is, is that God has been faithful. But I had and, to dream as a young, young boy. When yeah. I first came to Christ, I had a dream that, you know, somehow I would, you know, Lord wanted me to be involved in the ministry. Yeah. You know, and, but and you so were just faithful with what you had. Forty in the some years, yeah, 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 yeah. Forty yeah. is a good number, and then you know, forty is a good number. But it's like almost like God almost tested you in the season, just saying, "Hey, just be faithful with what you have, oh, yeah. and don't try to force it." And one of the one of the last things I'll say about this when it, when you're talking about God dreams, I cannot tell you how many times people have come to church with a God dream, and they'll tell my father and I have a God dream. And in the back of my head, I have to tell you, you know what I'm thinking when someone says that? Just don't let the God dream lead you out of God's house. I can't tell you how many times people have a God dream to get married, a God dream to start a business, a God dream to do this. And their God dream leads them to a place that's apart from God. So I don't know if that was a God dream. I've never watched things with the hand of God's blessing on them, lead them to a place where they are less dependent on God. Yeah. And they don't need to be in God's house. And they don't need to be in relationship. And they don't need to serve. And they don't, I, I've never seen that. If it's, a God, it's, if it's a God dream, it draws you closer to it. And God blesses it. And I just think most of the time, it's just because people want their dream to play out in a way that they want it to play out. Yeah. Like if I, if, if I went to you when you were 35 and you had that dream of a young boy of God going to use you to do a work in ministry and I said, how do you want it to play out? You'd probably say, well, ideally, I'd like it to play out here and here and yeah. here. And God didn't ask you that. He just says, just, just hold that dream I place in your heart. Be faithful with what you have. And then I think at 52, the opportunity presented itself and it didn't look like much of an opportunity. It looked like chaos, dysfunction, and, and it required more faith than anything else, but it was in that that the birth of the dream started to come to, come to pass. Um, Ephesians chapter 5. It's another day, another story. We'll do. Yeah, we'll you want to talk about, about that it later? Yeah. Okay. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, it says, so be careful how you live today, right now. It says, do not live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. What a word for us right now. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't wait. Don't put, don't put it off. Make the most of every single opportunity that you have. Um, let me just speak to, to, to that quickly. And I have a question for you, Dad. I, I want you to answer because I think you'll be able to give some insight. Is when, when we gather together as a family, one of the things that's so fascinating to me is that is that in an environment like this, and even those that are watching online, you could share a scripture verse, and that one verse can change someone's life, their marriage, their family, and their legacy for all eternity. And then yet others will come and they'll hear it. And, and I think one of the greatest challenges we have in the church today is 
to not dismiss, dismiss what God can do. And sometimes I believe it gets stuck here and never makes its way down to here. And we're like, oh, yeah, I've heard that verse. I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with that verse. What a good verse. Can I remind you of something? That the word of God is living and active. It's almost as if every time you read the word, you have an opportunity to, to have a revelation, a new revelation of who God is. And for some of us, it's, it's in our ignorance. And I've done this where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that verse. And what we're saying is, is I'm, I, I, I've seen all of God that I, that, that I can see. That's just not true. It's every time that we read the word in it and within it, we can have a glimpse of God, a new revelation of who he is. And that could change us forever, forever. Some of us don't even realize that. I just want to let you in on a little secret that every single time we gather, eternities, families, marriages, generations are changed forever because of the preaching and the reading of the Word of God. And I just pray that as we gather together each and every time that we do, that we don't see this as a common or ordinary environment. It's not. There's nothing common and ordinary about it. Uh, this, this question out of this verse comes this way. Um, what unique opportunities do we have in, in a day like this, in an age like this as a church, that we need to make the most of in leaving a godly legacy? Well, listen, we're, we're witnessing a world living in fear. And uh, I'm a science guy, so I, I know that, you know, I, I respect uh, some science. But don't mistake political science for medical science. They're two different things, and I'll just throw that out. You can do some research on that. But listen, the church was birthed in panic. When the world was panicking, and you look at the days of Rome, when people were dying by plagues, I don't mean one in a million dying. I mean 50, 60 percent of the population passing away. What did the church do? They went out onto the streets, and the people that were let out of the street to die, the church nursed them back to health. It was so powerful that even a uh, hundred years after it happened, they tried to, after Constantine was emperor and he converted the uh, Roman Empire to Christianity, that it was impossible for them to turn back because people remembered what the Christians did to their grandparents, to the great grandparents, that they risked their lives. So what am I saying? They live with no fear. We cannot let the fear of the world enter our lives. We got to rise above the fear and we have to be the walking uh, reality of just telling people, hey, listen, God loves you. He'll protect you. Don't worry about the fear. You know, don't live in fear. God has come that we can walk without fear. And I think... You, I'm you, not disrespecting science. No, 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 no. And I think this is the thing is like, we're not going to deny that we're in a, in a, you know, there's a virus going around. We're not going to deny that people are struggling financially with jobs. Yeah. But do you know that in the midst of it all, I've had conversations with people who have lost their marriages and their businesses. And at the same time, 10 minutes later, having a conversation with someone who just welcomed the child into the world and are 300 fold up year over year on their business. And you see the disparity and the difficulties of people. Can I just let you in on a little, little secret? Um, that will always be. There will be some people who are rejoicing and there will be other people who are mourning. And that's why scripture says rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who are mourning and stand beside them and walk with them. Listen, it's never about an argument to win. I want you, if there's one thing I want our church to understand, if you call this place home, we're not called to win arguments. 
That's not what ambassadors do. They represent the name of Jesus. And so it's more, it's less about an argument to win and more about a spirit to carry. And sometimes you, 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 you need to recognize that when you walk in a room, just let the spirit of God be present. You don't have to be apathetic and ignorant to the realities of what's going on, but don't walk into a room with an attempt to persuade everyone to see life and see the situation the way that you see it. It's irrelevant. Show them Jesus. Show them truth. And when they see Jesus, then things will begin to change. I can tell you one thing I've learned over the course of time. My father has taught me this, that the Holy Spirit is who changes people. It's not you. And if you show them Jesus and lead them to Jesus and live a life of example and carry a spirit that, honor God, that honors God, um, the Holy Spirit will lead them to a place of change and sanctification. The final verse, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. The text says, I fought the good fight. Paul's writing this to the young pastor, and he says, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. If you could um, go back in time, I suppose... What would you have done differently, and would you have done anything differently? I think everybody at the end of their life wants to hear the words from God, well done, my good and faithful servant, or well done, my good and faithful son or daughter. But I think some of the things that maybe I would have done differently, I don't think I look back, and I don't think I would have changed a whole lot, but there's some things I I wished I would have done differently, and that would be have more of a fear of God than a fear of man. And I'm not talking about a fear um, where, you know, oh, you know, you're going to get struck dead. The fear is like an awesome reverence of this awesome, loving father who you know loves you regardless, who has d- adopted you into his family that will never write you off. That, that to me is the, the fear of God. And so having a greater fear and a love for my father in heaven and having less of a fear of man, because a fear of man prevents us from following through on what God has given us. So we gotta, we gotta learn less, and I just, anything to the young people, just don't fear man. Fear and, your loving God. And I suppose the fear of man is, is the very thing that traps us into places, and I believe it messes up our faith too. I think for many of us as believers, we've, we've convinced ourselves like, like um, God understands, and I, I don't wanna, I don't want to do too much and I don't want to act in too many ways. And I, I suppose when it comes to your faith, like faith is, is action. It's, it's you doing things. There's a movement to it. There's expectations to it. There's conversations to be had. There's steps to be taken. And um, I just want to encourage you, wherever you are, I believe there is a next for you. Let me say it that way. And, and for some of us in church, we're like, well, pastor, I've been around for a long time. I've watched my father always take next sitting in the front with a notebook. (laughs) And if there's ever an example that we need in seasons like this is never to think that I've gotten to the pinnacle place where I don't need to learn anymore. I don't need to serve anymore. I don't need to love anymore. I've I've done my dues, let the next generation. That's not a family. Imagine a parent saying, I've done enough fathering and mothering. It's your turn to raise yourself, you know? And it's like, well, you may go through seasons, but you're always a father and always a mother. And there's always expectations that come with that. And I'm so blessed. I just want you to know from the bottom of our heart, um, at the end of every year, we see people give generously. And, and I don't, I mean, I, I might sound like a broken record, but I just, I don't know how else to do it. I just want to say thank you to you. I, we couldn't do what we do as a, as a church without your generosity and without your, your selfless giving. And for many of you, I know a lot of you are beginning to give for the first time. I just want to say thank you to you. Thank you for trusting us and trusting God. 
um, to really build a house that's honoring to him that you can be proud of, that you can bring your friends and your family to to meet Jesus. And um, we could not do this without all of you. And so as this season of Christmas comes up, one of the greatest gifts that we love to bless people with as a church is a place that they're proud of, a place that they can say, hey, um, I mean, for a long time when, when things weren't going so well in, this, in our family's life, you know, it was hard to invite people to church. And um, I think we made a commitment in our hearts to say we don't ever want to invite someone to someone else's church because we don't want them to come to ours. And um, it's our heart that you always feel comfortable and trust us enough with a conversation that you may have been having for a decade and someone finally says, yes, I'll come to church. I want to encourage you to sign up as soon as possible for these services um, that are coming up uh, for our Christmas services. And some of you are like, well, why sign up so early? It's maybe less about you and more about those who you're bringing. I want to make sure that you make room for the people in your world that need Jesus. Um, we're working very hard um, to share the gospel in a way that hits people that will forever change your, their eternity. And um, I want you to know before we end our time together that um, some of you may be here right now. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe you've been coming for a few months. Maybe you're watching online. And, and um, I just need you to know, like, we are who we are because of Jesus. And we live each day of our lives because of the sacrifice that he's, that he's made for us. And some of you are like, well, how do you, how do you become part of this family? And, and I love when people ask and we say, well, actually, you need to surrender your life. Um, to receive it. And they're like, okay, I don't know what that means. And you're like, well, sin separates you from God. And the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None are righteous, not even one. And there's two types of people. There's the self-righteous and the self-condemned. The self-righteous says, ah, I don't need God. And the self-condemned just thinks they're so broken that God can't do anything with them. And can I tell you, God meets both of those people. He's not intimidated by the self-righteous person who thinks that they have enough money to buy their eternal salvation. He's not, he's not overwhelmed by someone who is self-condemned and, and says, God, you can't fix me. He meets us right where we are individually. And one of the greatest joys about doing um, what I do and having the privilege to pastor is to introduce people to Jesus. And so if you're here today and maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, and I'm not asking, have you ever been to church? You can go to church every day of your life, do you know that? And not know God. And you can go to church every day of your life and you can go through the routine and the rituals. But rituals and routines don't save you. Jesus does. And having a personal relationship with Jesus is really what distinguishes the believers. Um, and he desires to walk with you through the good times and bad times, each and every day. And I really believe as a church, if we want to leave a, a lasting and impacting legacy, it's we need to be committed first and foremost to introducing people to Jesus. So before we close, will you bow your heads and um, close your eyes? Maybe you're here today and, and you can tell me, you can say honestly, hey, Pastor, I, I don't know if I've ever done that. I don't know if I've ever accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Well, in this moment, before we go, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. So right where you are, if you're watching online or you're here right now and you are ready, you're ready to receive Jesus. And you're just like, I don't know what this is. Listen, it's a prayer. It's a prayer of confession and repentance. It's a prayer of saying, God, forgive me of my sins. I believe who Jesus is, and I recognize that I need him. My friend, you can't spend eternity with God without surrendering your life to Jesus. The Bible says that the way to the Father is through Jesus. There is no other way. And so if you're here today ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray this prayer with you. You're not going to say it alone. We're all going to say it together as a family. But just mean it in your heart. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, 
I receive your son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I believe that you died on the cross and were raised to life. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's clap for everybody that said yes. <laughs> hey, why don't you stand to your feet? Are you doing all right? Yeah? I pray that blessed you. And I just want you to know that as a staff and as a team, we're praying for you guys all week and believing that God's continuing to work in your, in your situation. And I know all of us have different situation, situations going on. And um, listen, if you said yes to Jesus, um, before you go, we have a gift for you. As you exit, um, we have Bibles for you. You'll see people waving them out in the lobby, and we'd love to get this in your hand. I mean, I know you're probably like, nah, I don't want to talk to people. I understand that. But just listen, you weren't created to do this life alone. And um, hiding that you made a decision for Jesus is not a way to proclaim his name and to be an ambassador and a representative of him. And we want to help you in this journey. You may have a lot of questions, and we're here. We'll do everything that you allow us to do to help you in your journey with God. And so make sure that you stop and let someone know that you made a decision for Jesus. And online, if you're watching, we have pastors standing by, and we'd love to send you a, a Bible. Um, love to pray with you and encourage you in your journey as well. Um, but for everyone else, God, I pray for you before you go? Why don't you stretch your hands to heaven? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this season. I thank you that you've called us. You've commissioned us for such a time as this. So, Father, may we arise to the occasion. May we walk by faith and not by sight. God, I thank you that your word declares that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. So, Father, let us leave your house today strengthened, filled with faith. May, may peace and joy be overflowing in our hearts, God. May we look at the obstacles before us and know that it is no match for you. Father, I thank you that we are living in such a time as this. May we leave empowered by your spirit. In your precious and holy name we pray, a faithful church said, amen. Amen. God bless.